Welcome to another episode of the Limitless Life Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Smith. And if you have not done so, hit that subscribe button so that you never miss another episode. And if you love this podcast and want some more tips and tricks on how to improve yourself, go ahead and subscribe to my YouTube channel. There are a ton of instructional videos there. You can find the links down below. But for today, my friends, my brothers and sisters, from other misters and mothers and brothers and so on and so forth. Today, my guest is the one and only Lacey Iskra. Lacey Iskra is the life's, uh, owner of Lifestyle You, a company that helps busy women heal their gut, balance their hormones so that they can lose that stubborn belly fat and increase their energy. She is also the host of Lifestyle You podcast, and she also helps fitness business entrepreneurs grow and scale their online coaching company. She is a busy body, so I am very grateful for you to be here, Lacey. Thanks for having me, Kyle. I'm so excited. It's going to be good. That's exciting. So you you do more than just nutrition coaching. You also do business coaching. So what is the desired outcome or what is the satisfaction or the gratification you get from helping others? I love that question because it's definitely my motive in life going from, because basically what happened was I scale and grew my online coaching company and I hired a team. And so I wasn't doing the coaching anymore. I was just in charge of like the marketing and the behind the scenes and getting the clients. And I didn't really like that as much as I like just doing the one-on-one coaching, but I kind of dug myself into that hole. And after coaching just the nutrition and the training for, I was a coach for four years doing that, I was a little bit maybe burned out from that. And so when I went through a business mentorship and my mentors actually asked if I wanted to come on and coach business coaches on how to grow and scale their company. At that point, I had also bought back a lot of my time in my online coaching company. And so I had time to spare. I was kind of looking for a new hobby or something. And so I said, yes, I was really excited. It was obviously a new skill. Like I had the experience of coaching and building my company, but I definitely didn't ever help anyone else do it. And I was always asking the questions to the mentor. And so it was a whole new skill to really understand and to be able to look at a business, find its constraints, and then help the person through that. But for me, it was almost at a bigger level of impact that way, because if I help a hundred coaches and all those coaches help 500 people, then I'm helping a lot more people worldwide than I would if I were just coaching the one-on-one nutrition or training or whatever that be. So I always kind of had that in as my goal is like, well, I'm still having a bigger impact because if I can tell help these people understand how they can help more people and reach more people, then my overall goal will still be attained, which is to impact and help as many people as I can. So I think the desire That's a good question. Where does that come from to continue to help people? I think I've just always had that inner knowing that I was meant to do something bigger and better. And you just, if you know what I'm talking about, you know, you have the feeling, you know what it is. And it's just always been a huge part of my life. And I think it's one of the coolest things to be able to teach through experience and to be able to look back on my life and realize 
everything that I've gone through is now serving a huge purpose because now I'm able to coach people through that. So it was the same with like my whole fitness journey and all this shit I had to go through for like 12 years. Now I see the purpose so clearly because now I can relate to those who I'm trying to help. And then it's same with my business, everything that I learned in the last six years of building my business and all the things I had to go through are now there to serve a purpose. So I'm able to relate to my clients. So yeah, it's just always been the goal. And I've just always known that it's what I'm here to do. Uh, my buddy Steve was on a podcast a little while back and we were talking about the same thing, like how you just mentioned where it's just, well, I'll ask you a question. What does that feeling of ambition or what does that pull towards helping others feel like to you? Can you describe that? Oh, no, <laughs> it's, it's in your chest. I know that. And honestly, when I first experience it. It it was kind of funny because I was talking to my sister on the phone. It was before I started my online coaching company. And I was like, I almost just feel anxious. And it's because I know I'm supposed to be doing something bigger and better and I'm not doing it. And so we could kind of like coin the term POS anxiety, like piece of shit anxiety, <laughs> which is like really harsh. But in my head, it was like, I knew it was true because for probably three years, I was saying, I'm going to start my own business. I'm I'm going to stop training in person. I don't want to do this. I want to be online. I want to help more people, but I just never actually took the next step until it caught up to me and it was literally like anxiety and I was like I just know I'm supposed to do something and so I finally invested in my first business mentor and when he I'm in Canada and so when he pitched me the price he pitched me it in American but he didn't say American so he was like it's $3,500 for an eight-week program like blah 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 I'll help you scale your business and I'm like okay I had like $3,501 in my bank account so I was like sure I'll do it and then when it got taken out it put me into overdraft so I was like minus 500 because back then the exchange wasn't even as bad as it is today but it was still higher and so I was in the negatives for the first time in my life. And I just basically like it was sink or swim at that point. But I finally took action because that feeling just caught up with me. And after a few weeks, I was like, I literally can't handle this. It was like anxious. And I've never been someone that struggled with anxiety in my younger years, really ever until that point. So I don't really think that that answered your question of what it felt like, but it didn't feel good <laughs> when it was there. I, I think he, I think you answered it perfectly. Uh, and my, my buddy, Steve, he calls it his North star and how you just, how you described it is perfect. Like that is perfect in my mind. Uh, and I call it, uh, um, I call it the, uh, there's in my mind, there's two types of anxiety. There is the anticipation of future pain and then there's the anxiety of incongruence. And so that anxiety of incongruence where your actions and your behaviors are not lining up, it's telling us something, or at least for me, it's very similar. It's like, no, 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 you gotta, you, you, why are you, why are you pushing this down? Why are you pushing this down? Why are yeah. you, we're just going to make it worse until you fucking do something. And then I find that it's either by choice or by chance yeah. where we end up finding ourselves like, oh, all right, this is just so yucky and icky of a feeling that there's almost no, it's, it almost becomes undeniable to ignore. 
Oh yeah. I mean, that's what I always say is the universe will give you signs and it'll, it'll start really small and it'll just get bigger and bigger until you can't ignore it. And hopefully by that point, it's kind of just left out of your hands. And obviously you don't ever want it to get to that point. So it's important to pay attention. I like to think of it like, uh, totally along the same lines, where it's the universe speaking to you kind of thing. The universe will start with a feather. And if we ignore the feather, the universe is going to throw us a brick. And if we ignore the brick, then we're going to get hit by a truck. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So we don't want to get hit by no truck. So I feel like I probably got the brick. Probably had the feather a couple times prior to that. But oh yeah, it was, I remember I would even tell, I was even telling people that I had online clients. I used to work in, I used to work in Cactus Club, actually downtown Jasper in Edmonton. Um, and I would tell people, I was like, oh, I have like three online clients and I didn't. <laughs> so then it like even got worse. Cause now I'm like, creating that gap between what I'm saying I'm doing and what I'm actually doing. And then the bigger that gaps get, the more the anxiety gets. And it was just, yeah. So for, for that type of anxiety, um, what would be a tactic to figure out where that anxiety is coming from? So, or did you, did you kind of know during that time where you felt that anxiety that you were, it was pushing you towards, uh, helping people or coaching people or was that anxiety there and you were kind of in a gray area where you weren't really sure what it was for and you had to ponder it or think about it no I think I knew that it was there for that because that was really like the where I was living out of alignment and I kind of knew that because I was working as a personal trainer like I would wake up in the morning at four in the morning I would go to the gym be a personal trainer for like six hours and then I would sleep in my car and then I would drive to Cactus Club and I'd work a night shift and I'd work at the bar till 2 a.m. And I'd go home for like three hours and then go. To... And so I was just burning my candle on both ends. And then also just saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to start online coaching. I want to. Oh, I have online clients. And then I get a random online client and their experience with me would be horrible because I wasn't taking it seriously. And so I think I knew and it was around the time, too, that I got really into journaling um, and started journaling for the first time. And so I think after, and I always say to my clients or whoever, when they're first starting journaling, like super important to honor who you are and write down what you're actually thinking and not write down what you think someone wants to read <laughs> six months from now when they find your journal or when you die and they find your journal, like you have to be honest with yourself. And so I really always try to do that. And so I think just looking at my notes from dumping out my brain each morning and every day, I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And so I, I almost knew, like, I can't really remember how it came about, but I just remember me and my sister were on the phone and I was like, I honestly think it's because I'm being like a piece of shit. Like I'm not doing what I say I'm going to do. And now it's like, I hear that all of the time, but I didn't really know that then on what that was. So it's kind of cool that I puzzled it together, but yeah, it's broken promises to yourself basically. So Fair enough. So would that be kind of the, uh, let me go for the question from, from a timeline point of view, uh, when, when did you realize how old were you? Where were you? What happened when you said, you know what, I'm going to teach people how to coach their business, how to, or how to develop their business, how to, I guess like the very first one, when you first became a trainer, became a coach, I suppose, what, what was it that got you going that sort of could have become the glue that kind of fit everything together? Well, it goes way back because I studied 
probably 12 years ago now I'm going to age myself here, but in university, I studied sport health and physical education because the goal then was to be a PE teacher. So I always knew I wanted to do something with sport. Really. I was that girl in high school. I played every single sport you can imagine. And I just love PE class. I'm like, awesome. I got to go to university. Like I picked gym class (laughs) and then got my degree in that decided not to go to teaching took kind of like a life break and just went and that's when I moved to Alberta and I started serving and and then I got I was a bodybuilder competitor for four years and so that kind of put me deep into like the gym personal training scene and then I was like I want to be a personal trainer like the only thing I love to do all day every day is I just want to go to the gym and that's what I love and so I was like got my personal training ticket and then I think once I was personal training, I was at like a big box gym in Edmonton and I just hated it. We had each session with the client was like 25 minutes and we had to do a 10 minute warm up and a five minute cool down. So I had 15 minutes max to bring this person through a session. And at the end of the day, it's a business. And so when the person was trying, was getting sold a gym membership, they had their goals and the salesperson was very quick to say like, oh yeah, you just come train three times a week. Like you'll learn lose 30 pounds in no time. But I wasn't allowed to give them any outside advice for nutrition or I didn't really understand mindset at that part. Now that's a huge part of what we do, but I didn't. So I would just say it was more so I wasn't allowed to give them nutrition or outside advice. And I think that that's when it really clicked to me where I'm like, these people are, I'm training with them for 15 minutes. They're not going to see any results. <laughs> like three times a week for 15 minutes like that's not going to do anything and so I just felt really gross but my whole entire like last previous 10 years of life was like I want to be in the gym helping people like personal training and so it was right around that time where online was starting to become a thing and I kind of knew a couple people who had done it and um one of my good friends was actually my first business mentor and he kind of switched from doing the online to the business coaching and so I just remember like watching the client wins that he would post each week. And I'm like, that could be me. That could be me. And then one day I was finally just like, you got me. Like, how do I sign up? And so I think it was the dissatisfaction with what I thought in personal training was going to be for me. And I just hated it. Like, I just did not like it. It was not for me at all. So that was kind of when I was like, I want to do my own thing where I can make my own rules and support people at a higher level because you can with online, which is great. I like that. Where does your persistence and resilience come from? Oh man, probably the fact that I was a people pleaser. (laughs) It's like it comes from childhood trauma, obviously. No. Yeah, obviously. Um, (laughs) Isn't that that the answer for everything? It is. It really is, honestly. (laughs) But um. Because I think, honestly, I think that that is because a lot of my persistence and resilience and dedication, I think, was formed during bodybuilding because that is such a highly dedicated sport. You have to have so much discipline. You have to show up on the days you don't want to. You have to eat the food that you don't want to. And I was a diehard. I was someone who followed my diet perfectly all of the time. And I like never miss a gym session, would train three times. Like I weighed every single thing down to my spinach. Like I was pristine. And now looking back in the moment, I didn't understand that, but really that came from 
a lack of control in other areas of my life. So I hyper-focused on the one thing that I could control. So, but it instilled discipline in me. So I learned that and all, also just a ton of good habits. And then it also helped me understand, like, I think that's why the gym is so amazing for so many people, because it also teaches us failure is a good thing. Like we go to the gym, we want to fail. So I think that that, and then it almost just like that carried over. And once I kind of called it quits on bodybuilding is when I really started to go in on my business. And then it was just a lot of those lessons that maybe didn't come from the best intention originally kind of formed me into who I am today and allowed me to kind of have that same dedication, but with my business and then kind of, okay, now, now you have to go to the other areas that you were neglecting Lacey for the past 28 years. And so then that's transitioned into my self-developmental journey and you get it, but yeah. So I think it comes from a lot of my bodybuilding and then even just the environment where I did grow up, my parents were always entrepreneurial mindset and we could always work for money. Like there was always work to be done, but we were never the kids that would get like $2 to go to the candy store for not doing anything. Like my friends would be like, we're going to the candy store. Our moms gave us a toonie. And I'm like, sweet, I have to go pick rocks for an hour and then I can come with you. <laughs> and so I think that also instilled a belief that there is money to be made, but you just have to put in the work. And so I think that also carries over to just like my persistence because that was from a very young age. I was kind of, I had that belief, which served me well, I think. <laughs> I would say so. I would agree with that. So what were the, and I think this is really cool. I love that you said that you uh, were a people pleaser. What lessons did you learn from that, that transitioning of from people pleaser to who you are now? What were the lessons that you believe you needed to learn in order to get to where you are now? That where, if you were perpetuating the people pleasing, Oh, alliteration. Love it. But if you're perpetuating the people pleasing, it was holding you back from this point because actually, yeah, let's just go with that. Let's go with that. Let's see. What yeah. That no, that's a great question. And I don't like to associate myself as a people pleaser anymore, but I'm definitely still working on it. So this is a work in progress. I just, you got to be careful with how you say things. So, um, I think one thing that really helped me shift it was understanding where people pleasing comes from. And it's actually a form of manipulation to get the other person to like you. So even just understanding that was a huge, like, cause almost people like, I don't want to say they pride on it, but it's people, Oh, I'm a people pleaser. I'm a people pleaser. It's like, well, you're actually saying that you're manipulating people. So, so I think even just having that understanding allowed me to want, to change and implement change because I don't think if I knew that maybe I didn't think it was a bad thing because a lot of the people pleasing I think got me to where I was in both my business because I was always nice to every single person and I was a server so I talked to thousands of people and I didn't have any people that hated me growing up or anything like that because I was so I'm like I see its purpose but you also get to a certain point in business where that holds you back if you're going to be a people pleaser because you can't please everyone at the end of the day and if that's your goal you're going to end up pleasing no one so and then on top of that you're also going, going to burn yourself out 
because if you don't have boundaries, <laughs> when you're a business owner, you're not going to be able to show up the best for your clients. You're not going to be able to show up the best for your team. And so I really started to see that playing a role and then also did hours and hours and hours of therapy to kind of help me understand where that was coming from and how to set those boundaries because it's hard. Like when you've been a people pleaser your whole life and now all of a sudden you have to start saying no to things. You're like, you get so much anxiety around it. And I always tell the kind of a joke where it's like, I can set boundaries now, but I'm not good at it. And I almost like blurt it out. It's like, Oh, Lacey, can you come on my podcast? I'd be like, no, I can't come on your podcast because I don't know how to like have the <laughs> like conversation yet because it's still so new. But I know if I like even try to beat around the bush a little bit, then I won't set the boundary. So it's, I'm still working on like finding that happy medium because I don't think you need to like cut people off immediately, but it's funny just noticing yourself kind of transition out of that. But at the end of the day, you just really can't show up if you're prioritizing other people and doing what everyone else wants to do and not yourself. So. Absolutely. You said that, uh, you want to be careful of what you say, where you don't affiliate yourself as a people pleaser, but you have, you're still, it's, it's a part of who, like, it's something you, it's a portion of you that is a powerful contribution to your hero's journey. There we go. That's a good way of putting it. So why is it that words are important? Because your subconscious is always listening and we, our subconscious always wants to be right. So if you call yourself a people pleaser, it's going to trick you and make you people please because it wants to prove that story, right? Of being a people pleaser. So yes, sometimes I people please, but me, myself as a whole, I am not a people pleaser. It's like, they're two very different things. And I think people's words these days, it's, one of the most important things that you can start to pay attention to if you want to implement change is how do you talk about yourself and how do you talk about things in your life? Because people are very quickly to use words and just put labels on themselves that will put them in a basket. And they don't understand that those words and phrases are keeping them in there. So I like that. Cause you always have that, you always have that little, there's always, there's always someone listening. Yeah. A hundred percent. And always. it's, and you, we love to be right. And our ego loves to be right. So it's like, I always tell this example to my clients, but it's like, if they always say like, I'm, I'm overweight, I'm overweight. I've big, been overweight my whole life. I'm big boned, whatever it is, then you want to be right. So that voice wants to be right. So you are going to choose actions that prove that story, right? So you're going to end up um, self-sabotaging to stay overweight because we don't want to be wrong. So you have to be so, or so same with like, oh, I'm not a runner. So if you always say you're not a runner, you're not going to get running shoes. You're not going to get a good running playlist. You're not going to get a running buddy. Therefore you're not going to run. But if you start telling yourself that you're a runner, then you'll do the things that a runner does, which means run. <laughs> like That's the only difference. It's not people aren't born runners. Like that's a simple human mechanic. We're all runners. So that's always another example because people always say that, oh, I'm not a runner. It's like, well, no, actually you just don't run. <laughs> mm. Yeah. You don't, you just don't line up with the actions that you're not, you're not collecting the evidence to prove your thoughts wrong. Yeah, exactly. Nice. What are some tips uh, 
what are some of your favorite tips or go-to tips for saying no or setting up boundaries? Obviously saying no is basically a tip in itself, but yeah, what do you got? Start with saying no. Um, I think shit. <laughs> <laughs> life changing. Whoa. I think with setting boundaries, it's really important to just understand where things lie on your priority list. And so you actually have to be aware of that priority list. And then, because then you'll kind of know if something is a boundary or not. And that's really the first place to start. It's just, well, what are your priorities and where do you have to pour from? Because you can't pour from an empty cup. So if you're constantly putting other people in front of yourself, it's always making time for yourself, whether that's every day or every week or whatever that is. And we can always kind of tell because you you know, it's almost like you have that feeling when someone asks you to do something and you don't really want to do it, but you just do it anyways. It's like, pay attention to that feeling because it's okay. And nobody actually really cares if you say no. And if they do care, they're not the people for you. So it's just also understanding that the people that are actually supposed to be in your life aren't going to care. And the people who get really triggered by you saying no are also the people who don't have boundaries themselves. Mm. Ooh, I like that. Mm -hmm. I like that. How about asking for help? So there's obviously saying no. And I find that people struggle with asking for help. How do you, do you uh, coach clients through that? I actually don't even worry about coaching clients now. How do you, how do you handle that? Or how have you, I suppose? It's, yeah, it's super, I think it is super common these days because people don't want to ask for help. And lots of the times it's just coming from their ego or whatever it is. But I think, again, it's understanding where you're at with your cup. Is your cup, do you need help? If you need help, then ask someone for help. Like, I don't, there's not even really a secret combination to it. It's just like, you have to utilize that. And then if you, and you need to surround yourself with people who, you know, will help you if you ask for it and vice versa. You will also help them if they ask for it, but it's always kind of like a fine line too. And I'm still kind of learning of like, well, I don't really want to do this, but it's my best friend. She's going to be really, she really needs it. Like, okay. And so you kind of have to figure out when your boundaries can be a little bit more lenient and there's different types of boundaries too, because there's boundaries within yourself. And then those there's boundaries that you set on other people. It's like, okay, no, Kyle, like I've asked you four times not to call me after nine o'clock to vent about your life and you keep doing it. So then, okay, maybe the friendship isn't <laughs> where it needs to be, or maybe it can't continue. And so that's like a boundary that you're putting on them. It's like, this is what I want. I don't like that. I can't sleep when you call me blah, blah, blah. So that's very clear. And then it's kind of like, if they cross that boundary, then it is up to you to have circumstances or that's not the word I'm looking for, but something has to happen because if people constantly cross your boundaries and you don't do anything, you're training them to keep crossing your boundaries. So mm -hmm. I forget your question, but did I answer it? <laughs> no, I thought that was fantastic. I'll actually, I was trying yeah. to wrap it up and I was like, I don't know what I'm going <laughs> Yeah, We're going for a ride. No, it's all good. It's all good. Uh, something that I think is always fun. I like talking about saying saying no and then boundaries and stuff like that and asking for help. Because uh, a, a reframe that I made for myself that was really helpful was understanding that a majority of people struggle to say no. That's one thing. 
And many of those people that struggle with saying no are more than willing to put their goals to the side in order to help another person out with theirs because they still get the same sense of fulfillment and accomplishing something even though it's not the thing that they wanted to accomplish for themselves they oftentimes still accomplish it and uh the way i like thinking of is it's okay to ask people for help because people are willing to procrastinate literally (laughs) people love procrastination actually like yeah and yeah, it's funny too when you say that because a lot of people with what happens with like people pleasing, you're trying to like overly help people out all the time without ever focusing on yourself. It's because you're avoiding that. It's kind of like people when they're like, oh, I'm just going to fix him. And it's like, well, you're putting so much time and energy into that person and trying to do everything that they want you to do. But that's most of the time because you have something that you don't want to face or to look into or to try and fix. I don't really like using that word, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just, yeah, prove or yeah, it's, it's just interesting to see, but yeah, that's, 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 people are funny. We're just funny human beings. We're just a bunch of funny monkeys. I know. Just living the human experience (laughs) one day at a time. Mm, Okay. You know, you kind of, okay. Yeah. Let's get a little, let's get a little deep on that one. Do you have a diff def tell me how to live a good life? I think living a good life, hmm, it really comes down to just keeping the promises to yourself, I think, because I think that that's like the root of everything confidence in yourself, which it's the root of confidence in yourself, which is basically the root to everything. If you're going to be successful, if you're going to be happy, if you're going to have a good relationship. So I think if I were to give a piece of advice on living a good life, it's keeping the promises that you make to yourself, because even if you're not saying it out loud or writing it down, so everyone knows or telling the internet, you still know. And yeah. And that's the, oh. And that's the toughest. That's the toughest. At least when you post it on the internet, people will comment on it and be like, yeah, that's actually, that's been an obstacle for myself is not sharing my big picture goals because not too often. There's like a a handful of people where, where I get to really speak of my ambitions. Uh, And it's not because I don't want to share them. I want to share them. And that's the problem. Because if I, when I share them and then people acknowledge it, I still get, it's still the same dopamine hit as if you've accomplished the task. So I noticed that for myself is when I would, (laughs) when I would say, yeah, I'm going to do this. Oh, Kyle, that's a great idea. Blah, 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 blah. Sweet. And then it's gone and it just flutters away. So I found that when I just keep it to myself, that's been something that's really helpful for keeping me in check. Yeah. Good one. That's interesting. Yeah. Cause I think everyone is different and it maybe matters on what the context of the goal is, because there's some things that if I hadn't posted it on Instagram, I probably would have never done it, but more so when you're talking like big vision of I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And then everyone just kind of forgets. It's like, well, cool. I still, yeah, still got that dopamine hit. Cause it's a great idea, but Yeah. So I think everyone is probably different. And maybe if 
Yeah. I don't know. That's interesting, but that does make sense. It could be, I, I think it's definitely context based. Cause when I, uh, actually the, when I, I, now that I'm thinking about it, I actually remember, I recognize when I made that shift and it was actually the podcast. This podcast was one of those things. Uh, and my buddy, Dan told me about it too, where I put this off for two and a half years and I was like, I'll start it. I'll start it. I'll start it. I'll start. And I kept on and everyone was like, yeah, I'm down. I'm down and down. And people are like guns ablazing to support and be guests and like i have like my community of people that i just interact with which i like talking to all human beings but uh it's really supportive and it was awesome and it there was just a day where someone just said are you gonna start it and i was like ah, yeah yeah and then i felt that misalignment i felt that yeah. anxiety of misalignment that incongruence and then i felt like a piece of shit for just talking, talking big, but then following up with zilch. And that was, ah, that's just, that's just a brutal, brutal sensation. Brutal. But you wondered too, like on the opposite of that, if you never told anyone, do you think you would ever reach that point where you actually would do it? Right. Probably Cause I think not. that just comes down to like, yeah, self-integrity, right? It's like, well, regardless if I'm telling myself or I'm telling the internet, it's like, I think it's a bigger deal if you were to tell the internet, but the internet, like no one's paying attention to us as much as we think they are. Like we're all our own main character, but <laughs> that's, yeah. I just think of that. Or during COVID, I remember I was doing like, I was told myself I was going to learn how to like hold a handstand. So every day on my story, I would get up and I would practice and I wouldn't quit practicing until I had beat my previous day's record and so it was like the first day was like 10 seconds and it was 11 seconds and it was 12 seconds and I know for sure that after a while I was just like I like the people are waiting like I I don't think I would have ever stayed consistent with something like that if I hadn't posted to the internet but I I think that it holds me more accountable so I would yeah I think That's it true. just comes down to self-integrity because I was even training for my first marathon last year and there was just something in me that knew it wasn't going to happen. And I trained all the way up until like a month out, which is when you start to deload, like you basically run further and further and further each week. And then you reach a point where you're like a month out from the race and you start to run less. So I did the hardest part of training and I never told anyone. And then body started really fighting. It I was getting a ton of biofeedback that I am not, a, <laughs> I am not a marathon runner, <laughs> not at this point in my life. And I had to pull out of the race. And it was just so funny because I was like, that was probably the first thing that I've ever kept from my Instagram following. But I just like had a feeling that it wasn't going to happen. But it was also, I think, out of alignment with just what I was learning at the time. And so I didn't really want to tell people that I was doing that. And so it's interesting because then I pulled out and I'm like, well, would I have pulled out if I told everyone? I probably still would have because I wasn't sleeping because my body was such a mess. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a pretty good indicator of... Uh... Yeah, oh, it was not. a mess. Oh, it was a mess. And now that I know what I know about my health, I should not have been running, but holy smokes. It's another story for another day. So you're a coach for your clients, your health clients and your business clients. What is it that makes you so good at what you do? I think what I've always said is it's my ability to relate. 
So with my health and fitness clients, I've been on a whirlwind of a journey since I was born where I was given antibiotics my first two years of life over and over again, and it messed up my guts. And I've just really been perfectly healthy since I've gone through all the phases that you could imagine, gaining weight, losing weight, body image issues, going on crazy diet pills and dropping a whole bunch of weight and then gaining, like I've just, I've walked the walk at this point. And so, and then same with building my business. It's been up and down and I always hired mentors, always hired coaches. And so I just think it's my ability to relate and I'm a huge empath at heart. So <laughs> I, can I think that, that also helps to being a good coach. And then I'm a good listener as well. So I think that that also helps. I think those would be traits that definitely assist. That's for sure. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so, cause that's what people want. They want someone to relate to a hundred percent. So when I kind of, I can feel like at this point I can relate to almost any single person, no matter where they're at on their journey, mm -hmm. because I've just been through it all been through diagnosis misdiagnosis like it's just it's endless and that's what I was kind of saying at the beginning was now looking back I understand so clearly why everything had to happen and if that didn't happen I probably wouldn't be where I am today so it's cool because now even now I'm going through like a new health journey where my gut was all messed up I wasn't absorbing nutrients I was like in adrenal fatigue it's all this not fun health stuff hormones were a mess and it's so it's cool now to be in it, knowing it's all happening for a reason and just kind of like sharing the story where I think before it's kind of like you don't want to talk about it till you're like on the other side and you see the light and you're like, mm -hmm. I know the way, follow me. But now I kind of know. So it's been able to allow me to just be more vulnerable during the journey of going through it and sharing because I know I'm going to get to the other side because you, you'll only not get to the other side if you quit. And I'm not a quitter. Nice. Um, oh, I had a good question, then it just went away real quick on that one. Darn. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, with with your how okay, how important or how how do you how important is uh, I, I feel like it's going to be, yeah. Okay. How important is the, how important is it for others that you're working with to see your experience and your vulnerability as you're going through it? I think it's super important because it allows others to know one, that they're not alone and two, that, well, mean, and it just allows them to open up more. And that's what I always encourage my business clients to do. I'm like, you have to share your story. Like anything that you're struggling with or that you've been through or that you've overcome, you have to share that because we're all just living in our own little world. And we have all of these thoughts and we think we're the only ones that struggle with them or that are having them, but it's such a lie. And we're all on the same page. And I think with over the years, I've probably talked to at this point over 1500 women on the phone about their biggest struggles and their biggest goals. And so by talking to so many people, 
one, I realized that we're all struggling with the same things and we're all thinking the same things. And it allowed me to open up and share my story because the, the fear of judgment went way down after me doing it for a year and talking to even 300 women because I'm like, well, I struggled with this and this and this. And in my head, I'm thinking, and I know all you other girls out there struggle with it too. You guys just ain't talking about it. And so by me sharing their story, then when I, when they reach out and they want to get coaching, they're that much more able to tell their story because they know I'm not going to judge them because I've aired my quote unquote dirty laundry to the entire internet. Like it, they know what's going on. So they it just closes that gap of them feeling like they're the only one that's ever experienced it. And if I can just be that example, then they're going to feel more safe to open up. And so it's huge. I think that's the one of the only ways to be successful as a coach, because if you constantly feel like, or just show that you have everything together and that there's nothing wrong and that you're just this special specimen, then people are just going to look at that and be like, well, I can never be like that. Like I think this way and I have all this stuff wrong and that's so unattainable. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's huge and it's scary, but after a while it, it becomes cool because you realize how many people are like following you and reading you and understanding it. And then it's just as simple as me because when you're build, building a business, you have to do this thing. It's, we call it DM outreach. It's basically like messaging people to see if you can help them to come client. Like if you think about it in the sales world, it would be like going door to door, but now we're lucky where we have Instagram and we can send messages. <laughs> and so no coach wants to do that because coaches aren't salespeople at the end of the day. Like they have the best intentions at heart and they always feel salesy and gross. And you kind of have to like switch their mindset around where it's, coming from a place of like, you're doing a disservice if you don't, because there's so many people out there that need you to reach out your hand before they'll ever take action. And you know, you can change their life. So it's really just you doing a disservice if you're not reaching out. And it's very cool to see because by being more vulnerable, I will write a person on Instagram. I'll be like, Hey, like, thanks so much for liking my post. How are you? And I will get five paragraph answer of them telling me their whole entire life because they feel like they know me and they trust me just from reading my content and me sharing. And so if you never did that, they're going to be like, good, how are you? <laughs> but it's just, and it's so rewarding to see that and getting that like feedback of like, wow, there's so many people out there that are, were just waiting for me to start a conversation so that they could tell me how they're feeling. And now I have an opportunity to change their whole entire life. So yeah. To answer your question, it's super important to be vulnerable and it's scary, but it's rewarding. Is there a Goldilocks zone between being not vulnerable and too vulnerable? Or a I, sweet spot, I suppose? I think there's a sweet spot because I know like there's people who use their story to make money and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, that's your story and you get to do with it what you want. And if that's your truth, then I just want you to speak it. So I think you have to have a balance of not maybe being like too vulnerable, but you got to throw in, you got to show that you know what you're talking about. You got to, so there, I think there's more of a balance, but I don't really think you can get too vulnerable. It's just like, what area do you want to go to? Because I think the more, social media is so powerful where we have that, that we can do that people know they're not alone. And so many people are just talking about all the things they struggle with. So other people 
now know they're not alone where even 20 years ago no one really knew about any of that because they all just talked to the 10 people closest to them and no one was really struggling and it can go the opposite way too because now we see all the instagram models with perfect bodies when in reality most people don't look like that and everyone compares them to that so it can go both ways but i don't know i think at the end of the day as long as your intentions are in the right spot then you can be as vulnerable as you want and i don't see there's any harm in that but you do see the odd person who uses their story for out like not a good intention and they just kind of like ride that wave in any way that they can but Mm -hmm. at the end of the day it's like well who am I like it's your story so whatever makes you sleep at night (laughs) good point yeah uh and my lad has a cool saying about intentions where and it's don't find confidence in your competence find confidence in your intentions and you'll be able to push through almost anything yeah. So if you have the right intentions, then you're able to push through a lot. I like to, I, intentions are very good vibes. Good vibes are definitely a big thing for me and having well in, good intentions, well intentions and being reasonable are kind of all, it's kind of my, my thing is like, I just like to be a good person and how I view a good person, what a good person would behave like, would act like, um, how, how would I want to actually think of it? It's just like, it's it's so simple to find ourselves crummy and irritable and frustrated over objectively minimal, simple, silly things. Where, what's influenced your intentions? You know, it's a good question. (laughs) What's influenced my intentions? I think, honestly, just my ability to feel that in or out of alignment pretty quickly now. And I don't know if it comes that easy to everyone because I'm not anyone else but myself. But I can pretty much feel that feeling like that piece of shit anxiety that we talked about almost instantly. And so now, and like, that's why I have such a high, like self-integrity is just so important to me that I'm very careful with what I say, because I know if I say it, I'm going to do it. And that was another thing with my people pleasing. It's like, you have those people, you invite them out for dinner. They say yes. And then five minutes before they bail, that's, that's not me. Like if I say I'm going to be there, I'm going to be there, even if I really, really don't want to. And so that's when I started realizing that too. It's like, but self-integrity has always been really important to me. So I think with my intentions, what influences them is just what's going to make me feel the best at the end of the day, because I am very sensitive to feeling that of alignment that I will not feel good. And I will just like, my thoughts in my head will be going crazy. And it's just like, And it's with everything from like day-to-day tasks to like big choices that I decide to make in business. And so, yeah, really it boils down to that feeling that it's just like, if it doesn't feel right, then I know that wasn't my intention. And then I need to either flip it or not, but there's so many intentions for so many different things. So it's kind of hard to say what influences. It depends on how I'm feeling or what I'm I'm in the mood for, what my goals are that month or what I'm trying to focus on. And so 
because I set monthly intentions, I set weekly intentions, I set daily intentions. So I'm huge on intentions, but I think, yeah, overall, it's just whatever's going to make me feel the best. Good vibes. Nice. Good vibes. I like that. I like that. So what do I need to know about your youth, your younger your younger years in order to understand the Lacey that is in front of me right now? Well, oh, let's just go there way back when. So grew up with what I thought were was an amazing family. Um, but both my parents very emotionally unavailable, but I have great relationships with them. Call my parents twice a week. They're married. It's all good. But when you, it's kind of interesting once you grow up and you realize you, everyone thinks their life is normal because that's all they know. And that's all they think. And I'm like, Oh, talking to my therapist, like our life was totally normal. Like we played sports, we had a good life, but then you kind of unravel the thing. So I had emotionally unavailable parents. That's something you need to know for sure, which allowed me also to, I played under the radar for many years and I still totally understand why I'm in this place now because I was always so uncomfortable with people looking up to me where I would constantly put myself down and below people. And I still get caught doing it even in business coaching and almost where I use that ability to relate to a fault because I'll kind of act like I don't know the question to something because I don't want them to think that I'm smarter than them or that they're dumb. And that still like comes down to that people pleasing, um, I don't know, relationship or whatever it is. And so that, but that's something that I've worked through and through before. And then another huge part of me is that always having to work hard for money. And there's always been money to be made if you put in the work. And I think that that was huge. Um, I also grew up like riding horses and we grew up on like a little bit of a farm. So <laughs> I always think there's something special about farm kids. <laughs> we had to wake up and feed them and scoop their shit and all of that. Um, but yeah, I would say that is the short answer to your super deep, deep question. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I think that was a fantastic answer. <laughs> Good. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So I like the, I like the saying, well, this kind of ties into a lot of the things that we were talking about, but I like the saying that Steve Jobs says where he says, um, you can only connect the dots looking backwards, not forwards. And when we, I think I, in the last two years, especially I've been reflecting a lot more on just moments in my life or just, uh, stories that I've been telling myself or narratives and just adjusting things to fit the life that I desire by facing those thing, those moments where I may have thought that there was not really anything there and like exploring those thoughts has been a lot of fun. Well, yeah, I have a, I have a cool story about that. One of those moments actually that sure. I kind of go back to all of the time and it was, I was like probably grade five or six and I was taking, trying to become a lifeguard. And so I was like taking the final test and it was like three days before we were going to get tested and the lifeguard looks at me and she's like, Lacey, there is no way you're going to pass your final exam. Like you have not showed up at all. You're not trying. Like there's no way you're going to pass it. 
And so classic, I'm like that day, I'm like, oh, I'm going to show her. And then I tried really hard and we were like practicing basically what we were going to get tested on. And then two days later, it was our final exam test. And I just played like the victim the whole time. So I got like rescued from the water and drawn and I was, and she didn't even give me an opportunity to like show what I knew. And I was thinking in my head, like, oh, it's because she knew I doesn't know what I'm doing. Like, she's just going to fail me. And then afterwards I walk in to the room and she hands me the little patch and I pass. And she's like, I seen you perform like a perfect rescue two days ago, like right after I told you you're going to fail. And so she's like, I didn't even feel the need to have to pass you. She's like, it's crazy. You pulled a complete 180. And I was like, so I think, and I forgot about that, whatever. Okay. Fast forward 15 years and I'm graduating university and my professor asked me to present my thesis to the graduating class and all the professors and all the parents. Like it was a huge thing that I got picked and I, it was really cool. My thesis was on, I'm a hunter. And so I did like the differences between wild meat and store-bought meat. And so it was really interesting. And I taught everyone how to skin a moose, but that's besides the point. Um, <laughs> and so I did my presentation and then after one of my first year professors, he came up to me and he's like, man, it's like, you did a complete 180 from first year. Like, I did not know that you were capable of a presentation like that. And then immediately I like thought back 15 years ago to that moment when this swim teacher said that same thing, like you did a complete 180. And I think looking forward to my life and also just looking back at even the last 10 years, that was such an important belief that I think was instilled in me when that lifeguard said that to me was like, you can pull 180 whenever you want. Like, <laughs> and I find myself doing that and it's not the greatest habit because I think I try to get away with the thing until I can't get away with it anymore. And then I pull 180 and I'm like a totally different version of myself. But that was just like, I always love telling that story. And that's kind of like a little reminder to me when I'm like going through something is like 180 Lacey anytime you want you can pull 180 so when you said that I was like that reminded me of that story I like that have you been uh have you been working on uh pulling a 180 significantly earlier than you would normally allow it <laughs> oh that's good that's right because you just catch <laughs> yeah. yourself and it's like awareness is key and I think that's my job at the end of the day is to raise awareness for everyone because we're all doing the best we can with awareness that we have. So it's just continuing to raise that awareness. And then, yeah, pulling yourself out of it before you really have to pull a whole entire 180. It's like, let's try like a 50 degree. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Weird. Hey, huh? Who'd have thought? <laughs> That's, so crazy. That's cool. Um, what kind of uh, awareness practices do you like? Do you have practices to develop awareness that you recommend to your clients? Yeah, we're like really big, kind of one of the things that we do with our clients is help them build a daily routine, whether it's in the morning or the night, we kind of introduce different tools throughout the program slowly. And then it's kind of like, as long as you choose one of these and you continue, great. So we do, personally, I do journaling, meditation, um, cold exposure, and just like mindfulness, which on just like a day-to-day -day thing. So I have reminders and sticky notes around my house, like gratitude or like just things to pull me back to the present moment. Cause a huge part of my story has also been, I always felt like I was in a rush, like going mock speed from one thing to the other, just so I can finish that to go to another thing. And people, your listeners will, some of you will probably relate to that, but it, it's still a thing I do. And it's not 
I, yeah. So I just have to remind myself all the time, like slow down, Lacey, what are you trying to accomplish so quickly? So you can do what? Like, because eventually that becomes your whole life. Like you're just rushing through every single thing and you're never really slowing down and enjoying the present moment. So I have a lot of reminders to just slow down and I'll catch myself like throwing, trying to put away the dishwasher, like as fast as I possibly can and shit's going everywhere. And I'm just like, Lacey, slow down, just chill out. So yeah, just a lot of like day-to-day mindfulness that over the years of doing that, it's become more of a habit and like little triggers that I see of like, oh, that's my gratitude building. Every time I see that, I say something I'm grateful for, or every time I'm putting away the dishwasher, slow down and just like, how are you feeling right now? Everything is good. Like, I like that. Uh, A buddy of mine, Raj, he said, what do you say? He said, um, because he went on a trip to India. His whole family's from India. And he said that nobody cares about time there. And they went over and they're like, go, 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 go. Oh, we're going to be ready by eight. And then everyone be like, yeah, we're ready by eight. And then they went and napped and they just took their time. And he, he said that his, the lesson that he took from that is to turn the dial down 20%, just go 20% slower than you normally would. And then you, you just are a little bit more present, but you still have a, a that little bit of the RPM where you're just, where it's like, go, 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 go. But it's like, just dial it down a little bit, 20%, yeah. and then you'll be able to just kind of go through it a little bit smoother, which is good. I was actually just going to ask with um the go, 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 like, how is it that, do you use the gratitude to find yourself being present or do you struggle with presence? I would say, yeah, I think I struggle with presence for sure. I think, cause I've basically been deep into this work for five years now, so I'm pretty present now, but it's not second nature. Like I'm still caught, but it's just like you catch yourself sooner. You know what I mean? It's like the same thing with meditating. It's like, yeah, my thoughts are always drifting, but now instead of drifting and thinking about my sandwich and that I have to go to the grocery store to buy it, like going all the way down to like where the pickles grew. Like now I catch myself like immediately. No, I'm not supposed to be thinking about a sandwich, Lacey. You're supposed to be concentrating on your breath. And so I think that that's what it is with slowing down is I'm just much quicker to realize when I'm not present and then I can bring myself back to presence but it's it's very hard and especially in today's world we have so many distractions that it's a constant work it's like I have a deal with myself where I never go on my phone when I'm waiting in a lineup when I'm at the grocery store when I'm at the bank like that's just when I'm in an elevator like that's and it's just insane because the urge (laughs) to just pick up your phone But to me, it's like, no, like that's a great time to practice mindfulness or I'll take a walk every day where I don't wear my AirPods and listen to a podcast. It's a 20 minute loop. I do it every day. And it's just like my intention for that whole walk is to practice being mindful. So looking around, looking at the tree, noticing the houses, noticing the flowers, noticing the view, and you'll catch yourself like thinking about what you got to do tomorrow at five o'clock. But then it's just like, so yeah, it's like not my second nature. I think I have, again, it's careful with labels, maybe a tiny bit of ADHD, but <laughs> you get better and it is just practice at the end of the day. And the more you practice, the easier it is. And yeah. Nice. That's cool. I actually found myself struggling with a lot of presence as well. Like it, it's, 
what you're saying resonates quite a bit with me. So it's, it's, it's cool just hearing a different perspective of the same principles. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Uh, some of the, some of the things, cause I worked through my teens, like about 15, I started working and it was restaurant industry and it was very, very fast paced. So during my most, what's that kind of word? Uh, impactful chunk of time. Yeah. I would say impactful or my most more formative years. Uh, it was just go, 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 go for as long as I can remember. And I do recall that there was a period of time where I was more chill when I transitioned from a cook to a coach, then I started running my own thing. And then I started just getting wound up, wired, 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 wired. And then, uh, just had to practice the same thing. I really like the idea of don't go on your phone while out or waiting in line and stuff like that. That is something that I think is really cool. And if I, and I'll probably implement that, but when I had, it's just the thoughts, just keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. They're never going. ending. <laughs> just never ending. And it's, just... it's, it's so funny. Cause every once in a while, it's like, you have to give yourself a cognitive slap in the face. It's like, Whoa, chillax. Like where, where, Where's the fire? If it's an emergency, dial nine one one. Everything else can wait. Yeah, well, and that's what they say: is you never, you'll never be anxious, and you'll never be depressed if you're in the present moment, because anxiety comes from fear of the present or fear of the future, and depression comes from like dwelling on the past. And so, because in the present moment, unless like you said, you need to call nine one one, then you call nine one one, and then everything is good again. Like everything is fine in the moment yeah I think Eckhart Tolle says that um mm, but it's I totally true it. yeah the power of now I read that book like 12 times I sort of got it. it's a game changer <laughs> oh honestly you know what I actually haven't I haven't read it but I know so much about it and yeah I'm sure it's on YouTube I'm just gonna look through that and then there's another one too Supernatural by Dr. Joe Spence is one yeah. that I know a lot about but I haven't actually gone through it it's also good Okay, cool. I'll do both. Yeah. There's actually this quote that's in Kung Fu Panda. And I think I'll actually get it right this time. But there's a quote in Kung Fu Panda that refers to something that you were just talking about. And it says, actually, I just popped, I'll just pop it up. There we go. Google is the best. Anyways, so uh, it's uh, Uwe, Master Uwe, the turtle. Have you seen Kung Fu Panda? Can yeah, you? I have. Okay, cool. So he says, yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, but today is a gift. That's why it's called the present. Yeah, I love that. It's right. true, though. And so, yeah, it's just good reminders, but it's so easy just to get thought or like trapped in that loop. And that's like when we're trying to teach our clients and help them understand how to meditate. It's the point isn't to think of nothing like that would be impossible. We have brains like that's but it's just it's practicing focusing is how you want to think about it, because that's what the intention should be like focus on your breath and then you'll start noticing your thoughts come in and then and then you can just practice like letting them go like I don't want to think about that right now and then you just go back to whatever you're thinking about because if you can understand one that you are not your thoughts you just have them and then two that you get to choose what thoughts you want to believe or not and you can just get rid of the other ones like you can have an amazing life and it can be so easy but you have to be so many people just associate themselves with their thoughts because they don't understand that there's a difference between them. But I think that meditation really helped me understand that. And 
I remember like one trick when I first started meditating that I would do. So I'd focus on my breath and then I would label my thoughts as they came in as either being future or past or present. I'd be like, oh, I got to make that sandwich. Okay. That was a present thought. It's like, okay. And then I like think about something that I did yesterday and I'm like, okay, that was a past. And then you kind of, and then you're almost sitting there like, well, what's my next thought going to be like, come at me. (laughs) And when you're like really thinking about it from that perspective of labeling them, it becomes easier, but it's just so interesting. Our brains are so fascinating. I, I, I totally agree. Like there, I think I like to say that the brain is the stupidest supercomputer on the planet. Yeah. 100%. Like it's, it's so powerful. Like, uh, I forget which city they used as an example, but they could measure the power or the amount of energy required for the mind. And they kind of put it to the scale of a city and it was a big city. And it's just funny knowing that we have such a crazy thing that's just like in our brains. Like it doesn't even seem to me. Sometimes it doesn't even seem like it's really there. It's just, it's like, Whoa, what is this thing? Like, I just know like, when you really like, think about it, it's kind of crazy. Like, and, yeah. 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 That's so crazy. nuts. Uh, a tactic that I've used, especially for when I was doing or when I'm doing breathing or uh, breathing or some sort of meditating or some sort of journaling. And this one tied into specifically um, thoughts that I would view as opinions or I can't do this because of this. I can do this because of this. I can't do that. I can't do this, blah, 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 and come up with a list. And I put the thoughts under the, I put, I put thoughts as defined as an, uh, an opinion. So instead of thinking of it as a thought, it is an opinion from our conscious or our ego or our feelings or whatever, right? And I like to categorize them into two parts for simplicity. And it's functioning opinions and non-functioning opinions. Is this a functioning opinion? Is this going to help me or harm me? Is this a non-functioning opinion? Is it going to help me or harm me? So being able to categorize those two, when I put things into the non-functioning opinion category, it's almost like we can't feel things in our brain, but it feels like that rejection of that opinion is smoother. Yeah. And it's like, it just, and then you, like you feel lighter because you don't feel the burden of holding on to an opinion that you know is absolute horseshit. Yeah. (laughs) No, I think that that's, it's so powerful. It's such a game changer when you realize that you don't have to believe all the thoughts that you have. And that's another thing actually that bodybuilding really, taught me and helped me understand was about the voice inside your head and that it's an actual crazy person because and that because you get you get so much practice beating that voice when you're in a bodybuilding prep because (laughs) you every day it's like well do you want to eat that donut and then the voice is like no don't eat that donut and then it's like come on you're starving like just eat the donut and then it's like no you can't eat that donut and then it's like just one like nobody's gonna know and then but you just practice and then you beat it. And then you realize like, Oh, I don't have to listen to that voice inside my head that told me to beat the, or eat the donut. And then it's just like every day. And then over time, that voice starts to get quieter because you never listen to it. And so then you just start focusing more on the one that's on your side. Cause I always say that you kind of have like a bully and you have a coach inside your head and they're kind of the same person and they go back and forth and they n- never make sense. But it's just like, <laughs> that was another thing that bodybuilding taught me. was just like, 
you can choose to listen to whichever you want. And most of the time they have no idea what they're talking about up there. And just, yeah. So that was another thing that bodybuilding really helped me understand. That's a good one. Uh, how'd you say it? It was the coach and the. Like the bully. The bully. Uh, yeah. for, for my mental framework, my mental, my mental palace, I suppose, uh, I refer to the same thing as what you're saying. Those two voices as the role model and the rival. Yeah. The I person like that. that's trying to hold us back from where we want to go and the person that we're trying to become. Yeah. And we're just in the middle of those two <laughs> and we just get to choose. It's like, we just we're choose. just being, we're just being pulled back and forth. Just, ah, uh, uh, just, back but it's even forth. like, they say we have like 70 thoughts a day, 90% of them are reoccurring. We had them yesterday. Mm -hmm. And I think 70% of those 90% are negative. So you're so much more prone to negative thoughts. It's just insane when you think about it like that. So it's like, yeah, you got your bully talking up 70% of the time. And every now and then that good one pops in there and it's like, you can do it. And you're like, you're hey. like where the hell were you this whole time? <laughs> <laughs> so that's where it's like affirmations and things like that come into play because you have to kind of practice listening to that better one more so that it becomes the more dominant one because in the beginning it just gets trampled by the negative but what's the most what's the most uh common comment from your bully that you have on a day-to-day -day basis i think right now like one of the limiting beliefs i would say that i'm working through is that i don't that I'm kind of like an imposter with my business coaching. I've always felt that way because I was, how I kind of works is I work for a business coaching company. So I don't, I'm not in charge of marketing. I don't do any, I just coach. I just coach the clients and they get given to me, but we're a very fast growing company. And so within my first year, I went from being like brand new to business coaching to like mentoring people who had $1.5 million businesses. And <laughs> I mean, it was great, but there's a ton of just like, I don't belong here. So that's something I'm fall, like working through right now is understanding my role and that I do belong here and that's why I'm there and all of that. But that's the bully likes to pop up of just saying like, you're kind of dumb, Lacey, you don't really belong here. And I'm like, shut up. <laughs> Stop smack talking. Stop uh, I, okay. This is kind of a cool question. So you said you had a client client that had or was had a 1.5 million dollar business did i get that right yeah yeah like yearly they do about one Perfect. i have multiple now but yeah fair so this is kind of a cool one what has been just you don't need to say the names or anything like that but what has been possibly a lesson or maybe this is the first time thinking of it too but what's been a lesson that one of your clients has given you that has provided you um, that is a good one. I've not, I haven't really thought about that, but I think one is that it's allowed to be easy. And I'm not saying that to like decredit any of my clients success at all, but I think a huge thing we like to do as humans is to make everything hard and we don't let it be easy. And just my one client is like the coolest, chillest, easygoing person ever. And she just, and there's always like, 
it's allowed to be easy. That's, I'm just going to say that because I'm not going to try to over explain because I'll dig myself a hole. But I think that that was a huge lesson for me. And then another one too, is just so much around money mindset and just how that has so much to do with your relationship with yourself. And if you don't think you are worthy of reaching certain financial status, you never will, because it goes back to that, what we were saying in the beginning of the story you tell yourself. So if you don't think you're worthy, you're going to do things and you'll put a cap on yourself. And I see it all the time. And it's even with our nutrition and training clients, you will self-sabotage in one way or the other, whether it's with your fitness and nutrition, whether it's with your business to keep yourself at that cap of whatever feels safe and familiar, which is whatever you've been your whole entire life. It's not always what is going to bring you the most success because again, that's not how our brains are wired. They're wired for survival, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, So that was another thing too, is just so much of a person's success comes down to their relationship with their self. I like that. Oh, I had, I actually, I'm going to, I'll double down the, it's allowed to be easy. I think it's, I think it's, oh, okay. Yeah. I think it's really funny when, okay, here we go. I got it all now. Good. So it's, it's absolutely allowed to be easy. And when some folks are persistent in their self-sabotage, let's say, in my mind, I recognize the attribute of persistence is just directed in the wrong direction. It's like, oh, I, I am unable to do this because I self-sabotage. How long have you been self-sabotaging for? Uh, probably years. Well, you're clearly persistent in your success of self-sabotaging. So let's take that exact same characteristic and trait and just apply it in a different direction to get different results. I love and that. I th- I'm stealing that. Yeah, absolutely. Please do. It's because it's, I think when people find themselves self-sabotaging the most, it's due to a lack of competence in the activities that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Compared to, which is simple because like we onboard clients and it starts simple and then goes from there because that's just going to, for the most part, have the highest probability of success. And I think it's really important for people to not think they need to be fixed or they need to be, they're broken. They're like, oh, I can't be persistent in my goals because I'm persistent in my self-sabotage. It's like, no, no, no. Your goal is self-sabotage. That's why you're persistent in it rather than my goal is to do a 10K month or to drop 50 pounds so I can be persistent in it because we already, it's so funny because we already on a day-to-day basis, multiple times um, exhibit the behaviors, the mentality, and the focus to at least accomplish one thing, but then we end up just not. We just choose not to. Just, just, but that's such a good reframe. I love that. I'm definitely going to steal that because it's totally, it's true, but we just want to be right at the end of the day. And we just want to prove ourselves right. And as long as we can do that, no matter what you're saying or what you're doing, you'll, you'll be happy because yeah, you just, we want to be safe and we feel safest in what's familiar. So 
it's hard. Change is literally the hardest thing in the world. And it just so happens to be both of our jobs to help people to do it. <laughs> yeah. Is that funny? It's, it's like, it's so, so hard and people don't understand that, but it's, it is allowed to be easy. And that's what I want to get across is people overcomplicate it because they're telling their story of that they can't do it. And so they want to make it harder than it needs to be or make it seem harder. And that's what we always do with business clients. It's like, are you literally creating a problem right now that doesn't even exist so that you can fix a problem that doesn't even need to be there? <laughs> yeah. Or <laughs> that's what you're doing. Or uh, another funny one is when, when confirmation bias comes in and it's just only, it's like, no, I wouldn't, I can't do that because of this story, this story, this story. And let's say, for example, it's a business one. It's like business one specific where, oh, I've seen, I've seen people actually not even business specific, but I've seen people accomplish X and then, or I've seen people claim to have accomplished X, but I'm not a hundred percent sure if I try without any research, right? I'm not a hundred percent sure if I can actually really relate, resonate, or trust this person because, you know, there's just like this thing and this thing and this thing. And sometimes when, when folks do that, I think you've never said any of those things before. Where's this coming from now? Right. And I found, I find that to be an interesting one. Yeah. You know? I think that that's just like projection at the end of the day. And it's just like comparison, like comparison can be so motivating, the most motivating thing in the world, or it can be the most like self-sabotaging thing in the world is how you choose to look at some person and you either think, oh, it's possible I can do it or what do they have that I don't have? And that's why they have it. And I can never do it. And so, yeah, comparison is just, it can be used for the positive. So I don't even like saying like, what is that quote? Comparison is the thief of joy. I don't think it necessarily is because how would you know, if you never compared yourself, you would never know that anything is better out there, but you have to use it as a motivator and as inspiration instead of what do they have that I don't have and why it's never going to be possible for me because they look like me or they look like that, or they have that money or they have access to that or, and not to go down the, that tunnel of privileged, but it's yeah. Yeah. That's so we'll funny. I think uh, something I, I, I totally, I like, I agree with that. Comparison is not the thief of joy. Comparison itself is not the thief of joy. Measuring the wrong metrics is the thief of joy. Yeah. I think that would be, that would be a little bit more accurate in that one. Yeah, I agree. So this is going to be, this is going to be a problem. I'm not sure if what, what your big vision is, but what is your mission? What is your vision? What is it that helping all of these coaching clients and well, clients in all realms, I suppose, in business and fitness, what, where's it going towards? Why do you do it? What's your mission? So I would say my mission in like a very short, short answer is just to raise awareness. And that's always something that has stuck with me because I feel like no matter what I'm doing, I'm just helping people raise their own personal awareness. But I also, my really mission is to I don't like saying like help people reach their highest potential because I think there's always more, but I like to help people reach their potential so that they can realize that there is more. Um, because it's like, you can never, you're never going to get to a point where you're like, I've reached my potential, no room for growth. <laughs> like, <laughs> But it's just kind of, you got to get to that next level to even think that the next level is capable. And you can't really be like, it's with my coaching clients or I mean my business clients 
I can see a very clear vision where I'm like, you could be making 50 K a month in a year. Like you do what I'm saying, but that's so far away for them that I have to skip. And I'm like, you do these things. We're going to make 5 K this month. You do. And I talk a lot about numbers here, but it's much more, we're all more on the focus, the impact we want to change lives. It's just the money is an easy way to resemble how many lives we've changed. So I just don't want that to come across. It's like, all we care about is money, but, but it's true. So it's kind of like helping. It's almost like continuing to break my glass ceiling so that I can show other people that there's always another level. I like that. Yeah. I like that quite a bit. Nice. I think I was listening to a musician and he was talking about, or was it a musician? I think it was a musician, but there was a someone that was talking about how they they thought they made it. Cody Fingers made it, and then another door opens. So every every new level has new devils, right? And then there's always oh, yeah. another there's another door that opens, and then there's another door that opens, and there's another door opens. And it's so funny when we think when we think, oh yeah, when we get to this point or that point or this objective or that objective, and then boom, we actually are going to feel absolute fulfillment for the rest of our being. But it never, I I think that, well, I think that we are pulled towards creativity and creativity prospers in discomfort and dissatisfaction. If you think of any wartime, that's when we were the most creative because we were creating all of these machines. That's where the biggest technological advances happen because all the technology that we have that we are utilizing right now, it starts at a military service and we get the leftovers as citizens. So I think, yeah. it, I don't even know where I was going on. That was just a, like a little tangent. I think. No, but that it's totally true. And that's why it's so, it's always such a balance, but that comes down to that's why it's so important to enjoy the journey. And I know that's so cliche, but it is because when it's, when you first start getting into like the goal setting realm of things, you set a goal, you reach it. And then immediately you reach it and you set another goal. So it's like, how long do you allow yourself to feel happiness in that moment till something bigger or better comes along? And so if you're not letting yourself be happy until you lose 10 pounds, then you're going to lose 10 pounds. You're going to be like, Oh my God, yay, I lost 10 pounds. But immediately you're going to be like, well, I want to have abs now. And so it's like, okay, so you let yourself feel happiness for an hour, for five hours, for a day, for three days, but how long until something bigger and better comes along or another promotion or another pay raise or whatever it is. And it kind of robs you of that happiness. So if you're not, you have to, yeah, just enjoy the moment and be in the present, or you'll just continue to live that life of reaching a goal and then not being happy and not feeling anything and then reaching another one. And then you're never truly fulfilled. So it's like, yes, choosing a goal and going after it is important, but you also need to look at, well, what's the life of someone that attains that goal? And is that the life that I want? Because that's just even more important. And it's the same when it's like our clients are like, I want abs. And I'm like, well, a person that has abs, like hates their life. They're always starving. They have to do an hour of cardio every day. They have to weigh all their food. They can't go out. They can't drink. Like, is that who you want to be? And they're like, no. And I'm like, yeah, it's not worth it. <laughs> like, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> but yeah, then it's like, oh, you smarter things. <laughs> yeah. It's like, so you're going to hate your life and you're going to allow yourself to feel happy for one day that you have abs. And then you're going to set another goal. And it's just, it's just continue that chasing. But it's why so often we see like super famous actors or really rich people and they all struggle or they end up committing suicide or whatever because they keep chasing that thing but they're just avoiding 
whole bunch of other things that are actually going to bring them happiness or whatever. So yeah, enjoy the, enjoy the ride. It's important. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. The process is the process itself is where the work is done and where we work is where we are the most present. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that was a cool one. Um, I'm glad I recorded that one. <laughs> yeah it's like where did that come from uh just because i think it's a cool question that i just like asking people um but uh what role does love play in what you do hmm. that's a good question i don't know if i have a good answer to it what role does love play in what i do I think it probably does for sure play a role, but I'm like trying to think about how to relay this into better. <laughs> Cause I definitely love what I do. I think it allows me to show up with excitement and enthusiasm and also forces me to do the things that are uncomfortable that are needed to do because at the end of the day, I love it. And it's the most powerful thing in the world to like wake up and love what you do every single day. I think that's huge. And I truly do. So I feel so lucky to be like following my passion and being able to have this opportunity, but it, there's still things that don't want to be done. I've had to do a ton of shadow work and looking at that and having lots of uncomfortable conversations and doing the work to break generational trauma. And so it's like, it's not all like love and happiness and greatness, but because that's, I feel so much love for what I do. It allows me to show up in those areas that are a little bit harder, but I don't even think I had a very good example or knew what love was for a long time. Cause like I said, I had emotionally unavailable parents, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, it just allows me to show up so that I can continue to show up, I would say. I like that. I like that. That's a fun one, I guess. Yeah, that's a fun one to ask because so many people have so many different answers. Some people, some folks will go with uh, referring to love of their creativity, like their, like what they do as a creative outlet mm. and how there is love towards that. Or like, I look at business, I look at life as a creative thing so it, love is a huge component on the it, love is important in creation create love is requirement for creation and it could be love from a place of pain as well it's not just happy go lucky honky dory no no it's it's, it's not. no <laughs> i would say i would say it would be a majority of the time that it's not and i think that what you what you described is resonates quite a bit because it's more of the choice of love rather than waiting for the emotion of love or the feeling yeah well when you even think about it like in a relationship perspective it's like not always rainbows and butterflies every day all day and usually to even get to that level or depth of love you have to overcome certain things and have hard conversations and open up and be vulnerable because if you keep everything surface level, it's going to stay surface level and you'll never actually get to experience that love. So I think that that 
is also the same when it comes to what you do for a living or just how you show up in general. It's not always going to be easy, but it's not supposed to. And it's almost like the, what's that called when it's like, you got to experience this to get this, like, I don't know. I want to say paradigm, but I know that's not right scale. I don't know. <laughs> I think I know what you're talking about. I can't think yeah. of the word as well, but I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like the highs and lows. Like you don't really know what really good feels like unless you've really experienced the low. So, nice. and vice versa. Totally. Yeah. Cause then if you're just neutral, then you're just blah. Yeah. You're just boring. Ew. Vanilla. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Grass. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, Lacey, we're getting to the top of the hour. We are. I know that flew by like you said it would. Right? I just looked at the clock for the first time like two minutes ago and I was like, oh, he called that. <laughs> right? I looked down too. I was like, holy shit. Uh, like I looked at the clock three times and each time it was probably like, it was at least 30 minutes for two of the times and then it was a 45 minute jump and it was just recent. I was like, holy shit. Look at us getting lost in the present moment. Hey, yeah, we are. That's great. Oh, that was great. Oh, looped around. That was awesome. So Lacey, where can people find you? Let's start with that. Well, you can find me. So I'm on Instagram. That's where I show up the most and the most consistent with, which is you'll find me at L-A-C-E-I-S-double-K. And then I also have the Lifestyle You podcast, and it is called just that. So it's Lifestyle, then with a capital U, podcast with Lacey Iskra. So I release weekly episodes, and you can find me there. And those are probably the two best spots. Beautiful. Now I got two final questions for you. Yay. <laughs> I think we've got a pretty good warm-up for these ones, so this is good. So <clears throat> first one's a little dark. I like to go with the dark one first before the light one. The lighter one. Um, where are you at, Kelowna? Yeah. All right. Let's say you're at your favorite spot and not your favorite spot, maybe some place that you live. Anyways, nonetheless, I was going to set the scene, but it's okay. <laughs> you are at the end of your days. You are on your deathbed, surrounded by all the people that you love. You have one piece of advice that you can pass on. What is that piece of advice? Probably what I said, oh, that's such a hard question. I I think it goes back to what I said earlier of just like keep the promises that you keep to yourself would be like a short quote to go out on. Um, but I think on the other side of that too, it's just like practice being present. Nice. I like that. Uh, and then the last question, let's say, so, you know, uh, the coach you, so there's the, the coach or the bully or the role model and the rival. Let's say the coach, the future, you, the best version of you, the higher version of you, the, uh, the coach of coaches. Ooh, that sounds cool. That version of you comes and sits down next to you and gives you one piece of advice for this season of your life. 
what is that piece of advice that you give? Try not to be like too cliche too, you know, <laughs> like, okay, you gotta be, but I think it would be honestly something around the lines of just like, you're exactly where you are supposed to be doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing, because I think it's very easy to second guess or just question or wonder if you should be doing something else. But at the end of the day, my intuition has always been like bang on and very strong, which I think I'm lucky and so, yeah, so either to trust that or just to know that you're exactly where you're supposed to be doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Nice. Does that bring you a little bit of calm? Yeah. That's good. I have a little like poster literally right there on my wall of inner critic and coach. And then I like did this little exercise where I wrote down like all the things that my inner critic says. And then I wrote down on the other side, like all of the things that my coach would actually say. And so it's literally written right there. So I just like, look at that. Anytime I like catch those negative thoughts coming up, I'm like, let's switch that around, <laughs> rewire that. So I like that. I'm going to write that down. Yeah. Cool. It's, it's cool. I did that with my mindset coach that I'm working with right now. Oh, sweet. Okay. Well, folks, that's all I got for you today. And if you love this episode, please do me a favor right now. Share it on your Instagram and stories and tag me with my handle at Dapper Dude Kyle, along with at Lacey, L-A-C-E-E-Y-I-S-K-K. That is one of the ways that we grow. And until next time, my friends, I hope your day treats you as good as you look.